Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I am your host, Adam Kipnis. I'd like to thank C-Suite Radio for helping promote the show. Also, my sponsor, Network Together, is a nationwide networking organization with online events. You can go to ntevents.net and meet people from all over the country who are interested in growing their businesses or potentially being your clients. So go check them out. Today's conversation is going to be wide ranging. It's going to be interesting. I love when I don't know where it's going to go, but we're going to let the conversation flow. Jason Van Camp, thanks for joining me today. Adam, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, a, I'm a very happy to be here. Let's let the conversation flow. Who knows where it's going to go, hopefully in a good direction. Yeah, I, I, I think it will. I don't know if we're going to have to rhyme every sentence, but, but we started off with a good rhyme there, so we're good. Um, you know, as part of the entrepreneurial journey, you've, you've got your own business. You've got multiple businesses. You've also got a, a charitable arm. You've been in the military. You played team sports. There's probably a lot of things that all came together in your life that helped in your business. But where did you get your start in your personal entrepreneurial journey? How did you know you were going to start a business and when did that happen? That's a good question. So I feel like growing up, I had the entrepreneurial gene. I just didn't realize it. And the reason why I say that is because I would go places at a young age and I would look for opportunities to improve whatever, whatever it was, wherever we were going, whatever I saw. And I would ask my mom or my dad, I said, well, why do they do it that way? Why don't they do it this way? And oftentimes my parents would say, oh, they don't do it this way because of this. And I would say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And, and sometimes it would say, wow, I, that's a good idea, Jason. I don't know why they don't do it that way, you know? And I just kind of started having ideas when I was younger about how to be creative and, you know, that sense of creativity and how to improve things. And, and that just was sort of part of who I am, you know, growing up. Now I went in a different direction. Um, I went to the United States military Academy at West point, and there's not a whole lot of opportunity there to be an entrepreneur or, or a businessman. You're a serviceman. You know, you join the military, you join the army specifically, and you train towards that. And I was very proud of that. And I was very proud of the ability to, to serve other people and so forth. And, and, um, fight for freedom and, and deploy to combat several times. Um, but when I got an opportunity to get my master's, my MBA at Brigham Young, Brigham Young University, I, I started a business for the first time. And that was Mission Six Zero. At the time, it was called Mission Essential. And it's a leadership development company. And the reason why I did it was because I looked around at some of my former classmates that had left the military after five years. I looked at my friends and a good portion of them, I mean, a good portion of my closest friends were all business owners. And not just that, they were all successful business owners. Some of them had already made millions of dollars. And I remember when I was younger, my mother always used to tell me, she said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And if you're around, if your best, five best friends are millionaires, well, then you're going to be the six. You know, that's what it means to me. And that's sort of how I caught that entrepreneurial spirit or, or bug. It's interesting. And, and I'm going to ask what, what could be an idiotic question. And I try not to do this, but, but it, it may be, 
being that you, you went to West Point, you played football there, you were, you were in the service, you were in combat zones, you don't have a whole lot of freedom to ask, how can we do this differently? And you said that's part of your makeup, but now you're in a more regimen, regimented world. How did you marry those two parts of where you lived and something that, that seemed to be innate in you? Yeah, so you kind of learned that at West Point at a, at, on day one, right? And West Point was a very, very difficult experience for me. I hated every second of it. And, you know, looking back at it 20 plus years later, I still hated every second of it. You know, there wasn't, you know, <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty sort of thing. It was, it was a miserable, miserable experience for me. Um, but it was, a, it was a, a great experience in that I learned a lot and I, it was very difficult and you can grow and improve and become a better person through, through suffering, through pain. You know, pain equals growth sometimes, most times, I think. And that's what I talk a lot about at Mission Six Zero is, is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. So I learned a lot about toughness at West Point, but I still couldn't kick who I was as a person, who I am internally and somebody who likes to be creative and innovate and, and so forth. And so when I got to the regular army, I thought to myself, well, if the army is anything like West Point, I'm out of here like as soon as I can. And I found that it wasn't as regimented or as strict or anything really like West Point. And I started looking at other units that I could go to to be creative. Essentially, these are the units that you had to volunteer to go to. And, and I went to ranger school, became a ranger. And then I went to the Special Forces Selection and Qualification course, and I became a Green Beret. And I found that nowhere else, I don't know if you could find another job where you can be as creative and operate in, in an uncomfortable, nebulous, autonomous environment like you do as a, as a commander in the Special Forces. I mean, I was on my own with a team of 14 guys in Iraq, you know, basically making decisions about, about uh, my area of operations, you know, every single day and um, at high stakes environment as well. I mean, lives, lives are on the line, you know, yours and, and the lives of your Ford counterparts. Yeah. I, um, you know, for, for me, just it, it, you can't imagine what what that what that experience is like. And when you went over there initially, were you in a leadership position from day one when when you went into combat, or is that something that you grew into and got to learn from other leaders in combat of how to do it, how to get your team to be on the same page, how to perform in this you know nebulous environment that you described? Yeah. So the first time I went to combat was in the initial invasion of Iraq, OIF one. Um, and I was attached to an infantry uh, company as a fire support officer. And I didn't have a whole lot of autonomy. I didn't have a, whole, a lot of um, opportunities to make decisions that affected the area of operations, you know, right? Um, I did what my company commander wanted me to do. I supported him. I supported his decisions and so forth. And he was a great, great leader, great company commander. I respected him tremendously. And, um, and I kind of learned sort of how to lead and how to operate in combat from him. And he was learning as he went as well. That was the first time really any of us have ever been in combat. Uh, I know I have one at that time. And then when I was a special forces detachment commander, most of my guys surprisingly were all 18 x-rays, which meant that they were first time, you know, brand new to the army guys. And when we went to Iraq, I 
had to learn as I, as I went, as far as being a commander. So certainly I made a lot of mistakes, but um, I learned from those mistakes and I became a better person because of it. I bet, I bet. And, and, those, and but those, those mistakes in high stakes environments, um, even if, it, if it's not life or death situation, in a high stakes environment, you probably learn faster from those mistakes and were able to course correct than if it were in a more laid back business environment, correct? You have to, you adapt or you die, right? Adapt, improvise and overcome because you know a mistake in the boardroom doesn't have the same type of foreign implications or life and death as, as it does on the battlefield. I bet, I bet. And getting into West Point is some say harder than getting into Harvard if you, if you look at the numbers and then you were a Ranger, which is a more elite group and then the Green Berets, more elite group. This, where did this, uh, I guess, elite nature of you come in? Was it, were you the, were you the, the number one student in school? Were you the, the captain of, the, of your sports teams when you were in grade school? Or did you always have this, uh, I don't know if it's drive to be number one, but you put yourself in some very, very rare company. Was that something that has continued to grow in you? Uh, you know, I've always been very competitive, but I've, I've certainly met more people that are, that are competitive, more competitive. I've certainly met people that are more competitive than me to a fault, you know, and you certainly meet a lot of those people at West Point. I, I'm competitive, uh, I guess, to a point, you know, and uh, I want I want to serve other people. I want to be on a team full of like-minded individuals working towards a goal, working towards a championship. That's always been my mindset. Now, uh, I went to West Point, and yes, it 100% is harder to get into West Point than it is to Harvard. I mean, West Point is routinely number one um, college university in, in Forbes magazine rankings, routinely, like I said, beating Stanford and Harvard and everybody else especially United States Naval Academy. And uh, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, <laughs> so um, back to that question. Um, yeah, I'm competitive. You know, I, I want to be the best at whatever I'm doing. And um, it goes back to that, that saying that I told you earlier, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You know, when I got into the regular army, I didn't have aspirations of becoming a Green Beret or a Delta Force operator. I just wanted to be the best second lieutenant I could be. And a field artillery captain, a ranger, came and spoke to us one day during our officer basic course. So basically the, the, the first few months of, of you being in the army, you know, you're at a, you're a course learning how to be a leader, even though you just got done, you know, you just graduated from West Point. And during that time, this ranger kind of, he said, listen, the attrition rate for field artillery officers at ranger school is, is very, very high right? So a lot of people fail. And so what we want is to really train up guys that have a desire to become a ranger uh, so that it's very difficult. And when they go there, they'll graduate. And I thought to myself, nah, I'm not interested immediately. Like, I don't, do I want to be a ranger? Nah, I'm good. But one of my best friends, his name's Andy. He played football with me at West Point as well. And he's, he was fired up, man. He was like bouncing off of his chair during this briefing and I looked over at him. I'm like, what's up with you, man? And he's like, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, you're going to go, you know, go through all this training just for the opportunity to go to Ranger school. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm going to do it. And the, uh, the field artillery captain said, you know, if you guys feel like you can do this, show up tomorrow morning at this field at 4am 
And just so you know, like we're gonna we're gonna smoke you guys. We're gonna, you know, punch you into the dirt essentially. And and I, I walked out and I was like, Andy, like this doesn't sound fun, man. This doesn't sound like a great time. And he's like, no, nah, man, think about it. You know, becoming a ranger to be amazing. You know, and like all this stuff we you know we discussed. And and I finally was like, you know what, dude, if you're gonna go to ranger school. If you're gonna try it out, man, I, I can't say no either. I can't, I can't not go. I've, you know, you can't go and I can't follow. You know, I have to go. Like I have no choice. So, I show up the next day at 4 a.m. at this field, and there was about 100 other guys, other uh, officer basic course students there at the time. And and uh, and the thing was, there was no Andy. He didn't show up, and so I was kind of frustrated that he wasn't there. And, you know, day one, two hours of just like smoking your bags, running and push-ups and just sprints and the whole thing. And I walked back to the, to the barracks and I knocked on Andy's door and I was like, you know, he, he, he showed up in his boxers, sleep crusted over his eyes, you know. I'm like, hey man, like, where were you? He was like, dude, 4 a.m. came so early, man. I just couldn't get up. It was just too much for me. And I was like, well, I showed up. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. And he just kind of shut the door on me. And I was like, well, I'm stuck. I'm not going to quit now. You know, like I, when I show up, I follow through to the end. And, right. and I finished um, the pre-ranger course. It was six months, almost six months of every day waking up early and just getting, getting crushed physically and uh, learning ranger tactics and the ranger creed and so forth. And, and um, in December, right before we were about to graduate from OBC, you know, they, uh, we started with 100 guys. We finished with 12 guys. And of those 12 guys, nine guys went to ranger school at Fort Benning, Georgia. And of those nine guys, only three guys graduated. And I was one of those three. Wow. So many interesting lessons in there. But the one I want to sort of hone in on a little bit is you had mentioned that you're a competitive person and you... But, but you know that the line of those people that are over competitive, right? You said you wanted to be the best second lieutenant you could be. I think there's a lot of people out there, whether it's in, in life, business, uh, athletics, and military that are looking to two, three, four, you know, jobs or, or promotions or whatever it is down the line. You were focused on the current one. How do you see that as, as a differentiator? And how do you utilize that in your current life that if you're the best at what you're doing you set yourself up for the future without having to look at oh I, i'm going to get that third promotion down the line yeah i think of myself am, am i doing the right thing with my mindset when i was in the military um, because you know for example there are a bunch of second lieutenants we show up to our first job and you can already tell there are some guys that are on day one right they're just like if I don't make general, my life is a failure. You know, my dad was a general and if I don't make it, I'm not living up to expectations and I've got to do it too. And just stress, ball of stress, a ball of anxiety. And I thought to myself, I, I don't want that. I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do the best I can. And you know, if, if I don't get picked, that sucks, but it, at least I know I gave it my all. My mindset was this, like I always wanted to be the good dude, meaning that Whenever somebody asked about you, hey, do you know that guy Van Camp? Oh, yeah, 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 I know Van Camp. He's a good dude. 
you know, that's how I got promoted. That's how I got the best jobs. That's how I got the best positions in my military career. Right. And, and I did, I got all those right up until the day I retired and I medically retired early because I developed a seizure disorder. Um, but most times you can't, you don't have the opportunity and you can't develop a personal intimate relationship with everyone. Um, but if, for example, there's a, there's a Mike Jones who is hiring and he's looking for the next guy to step up and be in this position. And he knows a, a Johnny Jackson, for example, and they're really close friends. And Johnny Jackson knows Jason Van Camp really well. Well, Mike trusts Johnny and his judgment. So he's going to say, hey, Johnny, what do, you, what do you think, man? What about this? Who's this Van Camp guy? What do you think about this guy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a good dude. That's all I aspired to, to, be, to be in the military for, for, those, um, for those positions. I didn't really, you know, kiss ass or, you know, grovel or, you know, do any of that stuff, which a lot of people do, and they do it effectively. I didn't want to be that guy. I just wanted to do my job to the best of my ability. And, um, and I think that's a, there's a great lesson in there, meaning that sometimes you're going to be competing against other second lieutenants or first lieutenants, other people that are your peers for the same position. And they're going to come and ask you for help. Now, you know, if you're going to help them out, it's going to diminish your chances of getting that job or, or doing whatever. It didn't matter to me. I was going to go out of my way to help that person. And that's how I felt about it. So, you know, if that guy thought, oh, Van Camp, I'm competing with that guy. I want to see him fail. After I helped that person out, they're like, dude, Van Camp could have said no. He couldn't, he could have not helped me, but he, he went and helped me. And he put forth a lot of effort into helping me. And uh, he's a good dude, you know, and, and I'll try to reciprocate the favor of myself in the future. And that's the mentality that I always had in the military. It's interesting that, that, that you bring that up because that's something that um, I want to translate that to the business world because there's a lot of people in the business world that take that same approach. They'll help anybody, even if it's not their ideal client or even if they've got other things on their plate, they're, they're out there and they're willing to help other people and support them. But in a business world, when you know not your life, but your finances are on the line, sometimes it's hard for people to take a step back and say, yes, I'm willing to help, but here's what the, the cost is. Here's what the investment is. Here's the price that needs to be paid in a financial way so you can make a living. How do you have your helping mentality also pay the bills? Because a lot of people do way too much work for free. You know, you want to be productive. There's no doubt about it. And so you kind of have to trust your gut on this one and say, you know, in my experiences, um, I found that helping people will, will pay, pay off in the long run. Uh, I remember going to the Oakland Raiders uh, as the CEO of Mission Six Zero and working with them. And there was a group of um, high net worth individuals that supported the Raiders and they got behind the scenes tours and they had the box suites and everything and, and, the, and the club tickets and everything else. And, and I went to speak to them about supporting this event that we were throwing with the Raiders and seeing if they would participate and so forth. And there was some interest, not as much interest as I would hope, I would have hoped, but there was one gentleman there and um, he, uh, he was so excited and he loved what we were doing. He loved my message and he was, he, he became a big fan right away. And I was pretty excited because I thought this guy was a multimillionaire and it turns out that he was just an employee of a multimillionaire. And he was sent sort of as a proxy to this meeting. 
uh, or almost, almost as a reward for him to go to this meeting and get the behind the scenes of the Raiders and everything. And I could have been like, you know what? You're not worth my time, man. You know, like you're not the guy. Okay. But I made a decision. I was like, you know what? This is a nice guy. He's, he's really interested. He's trying to help out. Instead of, you know, focusing my attention on really pitching hard or trying to sell these other individuals hard, uh, I was going to focus some of my attention, not all of it, but some of my attention on this gentleman's needs and his questions and, you know, his desires and so forth. And I did that. And after the fact, I didn't think anything was going to come of it. I really didn't. And he went and talked to his boss, who then in turn introduced me to five other people like him. And um, it was just a, a tremendous lesson for me to know that if you just invest the time in, in people, you know, and just being a good dude, just reinforcing that message that I learned in the military, it'll pay off because he introduced us to, like I said, several millionaires that helped us out and, and, and supported this operation and so forth. And it was just a result of me being a good guy. Now I understand, you know, my schedule fills up fast and, and I'm not special, right? And when people say you're busy, I mean, we're all busy, right? We're all busy people. And uh, I try to take as many calls as I can um, out of the blue just to help people if my schedule permits it. And also my bandwidth permits it because, you know, I've got uh, a loving wife and two kids, three-year-old and one-year-old that need my attention and they're number one priority in my life. So um, if it doesn't impact my time with my family and, um, and there's a chance that I can, I can add value in some way and help and serve other people, I'm, I'm all for it. That's fantastic. And, and I appreciate you taking the, the time to do this, right? This came sort of out of the blue. Uh, we, had, we had met at an event and, and I just love the story. And, and so I appreciate you taking some time to, to impart your thoughts to the, to, to the listeners uh, on the business. Oh, absolutely. Think- my, my pleasure, Adam. It's, it's my honor, man. Like you're doing tremendous work and, um, and I'm just happy to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And so now I'm going to dig in for a few more business lessons. So you, you, you come back from the, from the military, you go to business school, and, and a lot of people go to business school to learn to be employees. Nothing wrong with learning to be an employee. There's lots of people with MBAs that do great work, and, and uh, a lot of other people have jobs because of it. But rather than going into the corporate world, you started a business when you were in college. When did that business become a business? Like, did, did you start it out with a business plan and I'm going to have this many employees and I'm going to grow? Or was it you sort of hustling to get your first client and it developed? Talk, talk to us about that process and what you learned from it. It was an interesting process and it was uh, such, a, such a growth process as well. I really loved the, the MBA program at Brigham Young University. It was fantastic. We have great professors. Um, it was like a top 15 school at the time. I'm, I'm not sure if we're up that high anymore, but it was a great, great school. And they taught us a lot about creating a business and business plan, business model, the whole thing, nail it and scale it. You know, Professor Nathan Furr and Paul Alstrom, they were there at BYU at the time. They're kind of world-renowned business professors. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. I had just gone and I just got my MBA. I was in the middle of getting my MBA and, and I was learning as I went. And so I didn't have all the answers. All I had was um, determination, resourcefulness, and, and fire, passion, you know. And I let that drive me, you know. And obviously, I had a lot of confidence, you know, being a, a West Point guy and, you know, a, a Green Beret, a Ranger, and so forth. Like, I knew that if I put forth work, I could get results. And I knew that, you know, 
I'd be hard pressed to find somebody that worked harder than me. And I, I proved it throughout you know, my career. Right. And, um, and I wanted to be around like-minded individuals. And I, so I, I recruited people that I respected in the military, some of my former bosses, some of my peers, some of my subordinates that I just thought were the best leaders I've ever met in my life. And I got them together on a team. And I said, this is my vision. This is what my mission statement is, guys. Do you want to be a part of this? And uh, a good majority of them said yes. And so how we started, brother, I just started cold calling NFL teams. I found numbers. I Googled NFL franchises online and I found phone numbers to call. And I just went through the list alphabetically. And for each call, I learned something new. I learned, you know, who, what the correct number was, who in that organization I really needed to talk to, what they were looking for, what the calendar looked like. And I learned enough to where I, I finally got to the letter N and I got to the New York Jets. And I got an opportunity to pitch to their player of direct, uh, the director of player engagement. And he said, you know what, you know, I really like you, man. I really like what you're saying. We're not going to hire you, but you know, I'd love for you to come up here and, and pitch as practice essentially to the head coach and the GM, you know, um, how about you come out here in February, but you know, you have to pay for your own flights and take care of your lodging and everything else. And I just jumped at the opportunity. So I did that and I brought two of my guys with me. And I knew, you know, I said to myself, if, if we get an opportunity, we're going to hit this thing out of the park. I mean, these guys are going to be impressed, you know, and, and hopefully, I didn't guarantee it, but I was like, these guys are going to hire us. You know, that's the feeling that I, I had when I walked into the room. On the way to the facility, we were, you know, dressed in our suits and everything, and we hit a flat tire on the highway. And it's thunderstorm pouring down rain. We're changing this tire on, on the side of the highway you know, greased up with tire. We're wearing our nice suits, absolutely soaked, drenched. We were going to get to this presentation like 30 minutes early, 45 minutes early practice, you know, set up our computers, the whole thing. We walked into the facility drenched and uh, the director of player engagement was like, where you guys been? Hey, you're up in two minutes. And so we just walked right into the room and brought it. And the head coach at the time was Rex Ryan for the Jets. And after our presentation was over, he's like, congratulations, guys you just want a contract with the Jets. And that was my first ever attempt. That was my first ever client. That's how it went for me. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a fantastic story. And uh, obviously all the little details add to it. So as you were telling the story, I'm thinking to myself, he's got nothing to lose. So maybe there was a sense of calm that came over him. And sometimes we do our best work when we have nothing to lose because it, it doesn't matter. We can be free. We can be ourselves. But then you add the rain and being there and no time to practice. Did which which of the battling forces, the sense of calm that this is this is practice, we've got nothing to lose, or the stress of oh my god, we just slid in here by the seat of our pants at the last second and we're drenched and we're not going to give our best. How did you how do you battle those two forces with you and your team internally to make a great presentation? We didn't have time to think about it. Really, it was it was a sense of familiarity, really. I mean, it was like, hey, this is just like being at selection or the Q course, right? We're drenched. We're doing a team event. We have to put a, fix a flat tire in, in under 15 minutes on the highway when, with no tools. Like, we got to figure this, this stuff out, like right now. And so uh, oftentimes when you go play a game, whatever it might be, whatever sport you're, you're playing, 
you're nervous at first. You're, you're brand new, you're fresh, you're, you know, you, you haven't, you're, you're warm, but you're not game warmed up yet. But as soon as you start playing the game, like those butterflies go away and you're just playing. And so I think it worked to our advantage where we were soaked. We were, our heart rates were already pumping. We walked into this facility. We had two minutes to walk into the conference room and start our brief. You know, we were already game ready. You know what I mean? We were already, our blood was flowing. We were already ready to go. So there were no butterflies and we just led right into it. And it was a lot of fun because when you think about it, you're like, this is ridiculous. And when you're experiencing a ridiculous, uncomfortable moment with friends, like you're bonding, you know, you're building chemistry, you're laughing about it. And so it was an enjoyable experience. You know, you enjoy those moments and you remember those moments because, because of the discomfort. Yeah. And I mean, living the moment is uh, obviously said a lot, but you, you had to do it in that scenario. What does that ta- What did that teach you? I, I guess, let's say the next presentation or, or one in the future where it wasn't all the craziness going into it. You did have time to prepare. What did you take from the, the Jets experience that you could then use for other presentations to make sure you nailed those as well? Don't overthink it. You know, subsequent presentations, you know, with more time to rehearse and practice and think, I mean, there's always a good idea fairy and the good idea fairy always comes at the last minute. Well, what if we did this? Or what if we changed this slide up to say this or whatever, you know, and you're scrambling last minute and like you're, you're nervous and the butterflies just increase tenfold and then you forget what you're going to say or you haven't practiced it, you know, and you're not, it's not fluid. Nah, just don't overthink things. Just go in there. I don't want to say wing it, but just go in there and just speak from your heart, right? Tell some stories, speak about what you know, speak about what you've practiced. And, you know, if you believe in it, whatever that you're, you're presenting or pitching and you believe in yourself, like it's, it's going to work out, I believe. Great. No, and such an important lesson, great lesson for us to learn. In the last few minutes, I want to transition back to, to leadership because you've been in a leadership world, whether it's the military, whether it's in um, athletics, there's, there's leaders on the team, there's vocal leaders, there's quiet leaders. But in the business world, sometimes that leadership is title driven versus person driven, if, if that makes sense. Talk a little bit about what leadership means, what you support people with, and how you can create leaders within the organizations that you work with that aren't necessarily just because they got a good title. Yeah, so that's a great question. So to me, leadership is all about influencing other people. And you can't be a leader without other people. And to be a great leader, really, the first thing you have to do is you have to care about your people. And in order to care about your people, you have to get to know them. And in order to do that, you have to communicate effectively. And so I think that's the hallmark, that's the foundation of being a great leader is, is understanding your people and communicating effectively with them. And that starts with getting to know them and having those you know, one-on-one intimate conversations, being vulnerable, exposing your heart, and then buying into that employee, into that person first, so that they can buy into you and ergo the company as well. So um, a lot of times people say that you have to trust everyone. Well, I don't say that. I say... Trust is, is absolutely paramount to your success, but it's, it's built through actionable events over time, meaning that 
you don't blindly trust someone just because of their duty title or they have a couple of chevrons and rockers on the sleeve of their uniform or because they're a vice president or something. You know, you believe in them first. You believe that they can do something. You believe that they have the potential to do something. And then you give them actionable events, actionable activities that they can perform for you to trust, to build that trust. And it goes both ways, meaning that you as the leader have to earn their trust as well. And so you have to show them that you can be trustworthy. And there are a number of things that we talk about at Mission Zero that um, very in-depth, you know, our first chapter in our book, Deliver Discomfort, talks specifically about trust and how you can develop trust, uh, both as a leader and as a subordinate. And, uh, and, and the reason that we start chapter one with that theme, with trust, is because it all starts with trust, right? And you can't trust someone first without believing in them. And that's where it begins. I love it. And that's a great way to wrap up. Such a great conversation. We could do this for hours. I really appreciate your time, Jason, and uh, just the, the, the different knowledge, different ideas. I wrote down a bunch of things. You made it super easy to, uh, to, to explain the complicated. So thanks for that. And thanks for, for being here. Oh, man, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. I hope that uh, you and your audience got a lot of value out of this. It's just fun. Like you said, just two guys sitting at a bar, just talking, just chatting it up. That's how I approached it. And, uh, and I appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, you're very welcome. I think, I think that definitely came across. And, and hopefully in, in the future, we can have that beer or cup of coffee or whatever it is at some time, some point down the road. Appreciate you being here. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You've been listening to The Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.